Thank you, Scott. <clears throat> Good morning again. Good morning. I was thinking um, about the, there's been a, a few times, a handful of times, that because of uh, national or international or global of events, my, my soul has been rocked. Um, I was thinking of 9-11, uh, when I was living in Southern California at the time and doing church planning and watching on the television the, the smoking and burning buildings. And uh, I, I hadn't thought much about Islamic terrorism. I don't think I knew the, the name, Osama bin Laden. And speaking of first responders, I, I don't think prior to that I had thought much about first res, uh, civil uh, first responders. And, and, and when the, the towers went down, just the utter shock and dismay and saying, God, what is happening right now? I think a little bit less forceful, and this was just growing more slowly, was the news of the pandemic. Do you remember that? It wasn't too far along ago, but like they started talking about this virus and they talked about how it was growing and spreading and we're going to have to shut down everything. Uh, wait, what's happening? And I remember church and like, really? How is that happening? And for some reason, the NCAA, I, I know that uh, it's not, I'm a huge NCAA, but I know all the finances that go into that and people. And so I'm like, this, what? And this is global. Wasn't it the nation of uh, Italy that was experiencing so much? And we're watching this and going, this is real. Will we ever be the same? God, is this end times? And I would say most recently, would be when uh, the bombs started falling in Ukraine and just bringing all the, the thoughts and, and reflections on the world war wars in the last century and thinking that maybe perhaps we were past that as humanity naively and again taken aback by the level of, of, of evil that is still... Uh, happening on this world. These moments that just send shockwaves through our souls. All these events have usually done a number of things in my soul, but one of them is they return me back to my lifelong study of the book of Revelation. And I turn many of the questions and my wonderings and my concerns and my fear back to this very mysterious book. The book of Revelation is an interesting and very unique book. Yes, it's, it's known within the church and has been known for the centuries since it's, it was written. And yet you realize it's in popular culture as well. It's in other faiths as well. It's part of our conscience. We, we recognize when, when things happen, when people say, and this is happening, and it was of biblical proportions. You've heard that, right? 
It's this idea that something about these global and international events are, are, are biblical in proportion. And I think part, the book of Revelation was given so that we might return again and again and again. If, you, if this is your first Sunday, you wouldn't know this, but if you've been here maybe only two times, you would know I'm somewhat of a Johnny OneNote. <laughs> and what's that Johnny OneNote? The kingdom of God, all right? If you really understand my Johnny OneNote-ness, I guess, there's three notes. I'm a Johnny Three-Note. God and his kingdom... Jesus as the king of the kingdom and the Holy Spirit as the agent of the kingdom. And as we turn to the book of Revelation, I want to give some encouragement. And my first one is this, that those dynamics, the kingdom of God, Jesus as the returning king and the Holy Spirit as the agent of the kingdom. If we hold those three truths, and you could call them lenses, as we go to this mysterious book, I believe that God has profound things in store for us. God and his kingdom... Jesus, the returning king, and the Holy Spirit as the agent of the kingdom. We're going to see, we're going to read chapter 1 this morning, and you're going to see all three are prevalent right from the beginning. Set a, a foundation for us as we enter and look at this book. Um, the, the, uh, I, I want to say a few important things as we open, and if you want to haven't yet, would you... Bring your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation. And I wanted to start with a few important goals for us. We're going to be in the book of Revelation for the next eight to ten weeks. And so one goal is this. I, I want to share with you the 25 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 2025. And then I'd like to share with you the identity of the Antichrist. That'll be multiple choice. So you've got A, Joe Biden. B, Donald Trump. C, the Pope. All right? All right, we're going to do none of that. All right? Absolutely none of that. All right? Here's some of our goals, is that I think that many people, uh, of course, talk or reference and wonder about the book of Revelation, but so few people have a level of comfort with the book of Revelation. I remember a friend in seminary, he went, he had took a whole class, and he said, I think I could preach from any verse in the book of Revelation. I was like, Wow. There's not very many verses I could preach from Revelation. I really know. So I, I, my desire is that we, as a community of faith, would actually grow in a comfort level with the book, that we would understand the basic structure and storyline of the book of Revelation. Does that sound fun? Okay. 
<laughs> Number two is that Jesus gave this book with intention that it would impact our soul. And I believe it would do a number of things, but one I want to highlight is that it would build anticipation for his return. So often we're filled with fear and confusion because of the world events and the book of Revelation, and I believe that Jesus wants to build anticipation for his return. And second, I believe he wants to give an invitation for us to pray. In fact, outside of the words of Jesus, the book of Revelation has spurred a prayer life for me more than any other book in the entire scriptures, believe it or not. And I believe that God wants to invite us into that growing prayer life as we read and reflect and as we watch the news. And then finally, I do want to alleviate fear and build faith in the one who is to come as we study that, okay? Can we agree to, to those three? Those are our focus. I might throw in the Antichrist. No, we'll, we'll talk about that, all right? All right, in fact, let's pray uh, right now, Lord Jesus. Would you come? Thank you for your presence in our midst, Lord God. Thank you for the way that you've already been ministering. Would you, Lord God, fill these words once again with fresh revelation to us, Lord Jesus? Give us ears to hear. In your name we pray, amen. Let's uh, start with the first half of chapter one, book of Revelation. It says, the revelation. By the way, everyone says revelations. It's just revelation. The book of Revelation. Sorry, I'll try not to have too many soapbox things go on. You caught that, did you? The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take, and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn, from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Did you notice that this is a Trinitarian greeting? That right away you have God the Father, who is eternal, who was and is and is to come. You have the Holy Spirit, unique as it is revealed, the Holy Spirit. It says the seven spirits. Actually, you can also translate as the sevenfold spirit. Of course, seven is a picture of perfect, a number of perfection and wholeness. And 
And how I like to understand this, as I, I think it was meant to be understood, is not that the Holy, the Holy Spirit, or, or that God has seven Holy Spirits, but it's talking about his ministry to us and in the world. And he has the perfect ministry of salvation and new life. We, we talked about some of that, uh, of joy and peace, of renewal and blessing, of forgiveness and conviction of sin, of evangelism and witness, ambassadors. He's got all of these ministries available to us that he's working in us. A beautiful introduction. And then Jesus, firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, whether they know it or not. Going on, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, Jesus, and has made us to be a kingdom of priests. We have a role to play in the story of God and in this book of Revelation. To serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, quoting Daniel. Right away, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. Quoting Zechariah, so shall it be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pause there for just a moment and make a few observations. The, the first is that first invitation, that idea of revelation. That Greek word is apocalypsis, and that means revelation, to reveal, to unveil, the, the laying bare, the disclosure of truth, the appearing, the, the, the revelation of things yet unknown. I like to think of the book is that this is a revelation of Jesus about Jesus. Of Jesus about Jesus. There was a messenger angel senting and I, and I, and I want you to get the, the, the picture of this that John, oh you know what I, uh, I wanted to read a little bit farther sorry about that. Verse 9, we'll pick it up. I, John, the brother and companion, the suffering in the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Notice you've got some key themes that he's laying out in the book right away. You've got suffering, you've got the kingdom of God, and you've got endurance. In Jesus was on the island of Patmos, because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's Day, Sunday, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Well, pause just right there. I'm going to set the setting and the context just a little bit. This was the Apostle John, 
He was probably and perhaps the only survivor of the original 12 at this point. Most believe he was riding around 95 AD. We've got a map um, that just gives you a little bit of context of location. And you've got Patmos, the island there in the bottom left corner, and the seven churches that were surrounding. Yes, he was writing and is going to write a specific message to the churches, but also to the greater church. And he was probably writing during a time of persecution. And so he's writing not to create fear of the seven churches, but faith of the seven churches. Not to create dismay in the greater church, but faith in the greater church. We have some really amazing testimony of some of the early church fathers about this book. Justin Martyr, he was writing, it's like, Uh, 40 to 50 years later after John, 135, 150 AD, and he talks about the authorship of the apostle John. Irenaeus, he wrote in 185 AD. Now, in in terms of ancient literature, it's amazing that we have these words about this book. He wrote this, John received the revelation of, Almost in our own time. He was saying that that's incredible, like we're so close to, uh, to this book. And he goes on to say, almost in our own time, toward the end of the reign of uh, Domitian. And so that was his reign, Domitian's reign ended in 96 AD. So imagine this, right? Jesus' ministry was in uh, roughly AD 30 to uh, 33, and then he had all the events of the early church, and yet John, the remaining apostle, persecuted. He goes to the island of Patmos, and he's praying, and the resurrected Jesus Christ appears to him. Almost as if the assume that all the, the, the books that made it in the canon had been written by the apostles, and yet there was this one more book. The canon was not complete. Our, our uh, scriptures was not brought to completion. And he wanted to give a revelation to the apostles before he passed away. Right. Now, important point, a little bit of a soapbox here. I'm going to give you a little bit of warning here. Jesus, uh, John received this revelation. He did not create this revelation. Look at your neighbor and say, received. 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 He did not create this revelation. Now we're going to talk about some of the variety of, of biblical interpretations that, that are valid, some, some good scholars. But right away I disagree with, with a number of folks when they write and reflect in such a way that John was living into a genre called Jewish apocalyptic literature. 
which oftentimes used an anonymous name. They didn't reveal their true identity. They pulled back like an Enoch, right? Or, or even Abraham or Moses, and they used them to, to give weight to their prophecy. And sometimes they'd, they'd share a prophecy, and they'd use symbols and images like John does. So there's some crossover there. And yet, oftentimes, the, the things that they were claiming to predict had already happened in history. And that is not how we're approaching the book of Revelation. We're approaching the book of Revelation as people of faith, that we believe that John received this book the way he tells us. Right? He did not write it like he wrote the, the three epistles. He did not write it inspired like he wrote the gospels. He, we are believing and approaching as he received this revelation from Christ Jesus himself. So, for example, we're about to read a, a vision of the resurrected Jesus and we're going to see a double-edged sword protruding from his mouth. And I really don't like it when commentators say, and John chose a double-edged sword to communicate power and strength. John is not denying his role in the book of Revelation. And he's using his own language, first century language, to communicate. So it's important that we're mindful of the context of who John was and, and where, what he was living and, and the surrounding churches, all of those things, that context. But here's the deal. Who chose the symbol of the double-edged sword to protrude from the mouth of the resurrected Jesus? Who chose to use that symbol? Jesus did. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ from Jesus. He chose those symbols. So we're going to approach everything in the book of Revelation as being given by Christ. Yes, seen by John, using language of first century of John, but given by Jesus. Okay, step off the soapbox. Okay, Jesus is the source of this message. He's the source of the symbols. And he's communicating these spiritual truths and historical events to us yet to come. All right. Now let's read the rest of Revelation here. This is where we're going to see the resurrected Christ. Starting at verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. So there was symbols chosen. So we can think, why would Jesus represent himself with a robe and a golden sash. Most would say this is the garb of a high priest. And the, and the high priest ministers to his people. We know that Jesus is in intercession for you and me right now on the throne. When we see that, we can reflect Jesus is our high priest. The hair on his head was like wool, 
and as white as snow, reflecting the glory of God and the wisdom of God. And his eyes were like blazing fire. Can you imagine John's uh, view of Jesus, the, the penetrating gaze, his, his eyes like fire, like he knows you and me better than we know ourselves. He knows everything in this world. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. You know what that made me think of? Is the book of Daniel. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the furnace, and then Nebuchadnezzar peers in, and there's a fourth, someone like the Son of God, in the furnace there. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Can you imagine the power in which he spoke? In his right hand, he held the seven stars. Can to explain that in just a moment? And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. Now, why did John decide to have a double-edged sword protruding from his mouth? Good, okay, you're with me. All right, I don't need to repeat that again. Power. Authority reminds you of the book of Hebrews, right? The voice of God that penetrates and divides spirit and soul, bone and marrow. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. That makes me think of Moses and the, and the tabernacle that Moses would come out in with God and his, you couldn't look at his face. You had to put a veil over it. Jesus was blazing. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Who would not at this picture? Then he, Jesus, I love this juxtaposition of this powerful, resurrected Jesus. And then it says, then he placed his hand on me. And he said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. He's saying, I am the source of life. I hold all things in my hands. You don't have to be afraid of the glory of God or anything in this world. I've got it. I've got it. Write, therefore, what you have seen what is now and what will take place. That was verse 19. The mystery of the seven stars. I love it in the book of Revelation. Sometimes they explain the symbols to us. Makes it super easy. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right? We're going to pause right there and again just approach this with a number of things. I would like you to look again at verse 19. There is this uh, belief that this is really the, the uh, thesis statement or the, the guiding verse for the whole book. 
He says, write, therefore, what you have seen. Some would say he's talking about uh, chapter 1 that we just read and even past things. What is now, chapters 2 and 3, as he writes to the churches, and what will take place later, the rest of the book. I'm going to show you a chart, uh, but before we do that, not yet quite ready, the, uh, the book of Revelation is very controversial in part because there's many, many good Christians that would view and approach the book of Revelation in different ways. Some of you know I, I talk about the cone of clarity and, and there's some orthodox issues in the faith that we really have to contend for and not compromise, right? It's very high on the cone of clarity. In my estimation, the book of Revelation is not one of those in terms of how we approach. Of course, it's part of the orthodox faith, but there's valid biblical ways of approaching the book that are different. In fact, there's four primary ways. Paul in Romans 14 talks about disputable matters, that disputable matters, that, that we should have a category in our faith of disputable matters, that, that, there's, that, that one person might see it in one way and another person might see it another, and it's okay to disagree. That's how I'd like us to study the book of Revelation, is that how we approach it, there's some good, faithful Christians actually through the ages that have approached the book in different ways and now they are with Jesus in heaven, all right? I'm going to teach it to you like this, that someday I'm going to stand before Christ and he's going to correct my theology. I'm doing my best that he has to correct less and less the longer I live, okay? I'd like you to hear the book of Revelation with this perspective. Someday you're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to correct your theology. Can you allow that realization to produce a humility and a graciousness as we approach the book of Revelation? I'd like to say the study of the book of Revelation has lacked a lot of humility and graciousness among Christians. Can we live it differently? Can we study it differently? Can we receive it as we're all trying to grow? I have made decisions. I'm going to communicate a particular view and approach to the book of Revelation that I think makes the most sense to me. That I've studied the best, and yet I might get it wrong. Okay? Have grace with me. I'll have grace with you. And I'll be gentle as I correct all your theology, okay? As will we. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Uh, Tim LaHaye, probably the, the most significant view and approach is something called dispensationalism, right? So I would disagree. I would agree with some things and disagree in in key ways. Is Tim LaHaye a Christian and loves the Lord? 
Absolutely. Has God done some very good things through him? Absolutely. Amen. And yet we're going to disagree on some things uh, graciously and with humility and, and kindness for one another. All right, you ready for a chart? Yeah. Okay. We're going to try and give you a number of charts, and uh, uh, this is not predicting anything. This is a view of how we understand the structure of Revelation. Uh, again, I'm going to provide charts for clarity, not confusion, okay? Clarity, not confusion. If you have any questions about these things, you can ask Pastor Jedediah whatever you want, and he <laughs> will patiently walk through all of this with you, all right? So you've got, um, uh, and again, this reflects a particular view. This, is, uh, this reflects a, it, what's called a futurist view, or I like to call it a historic futurist view, that many uh, throughout the history, for example, Justin Martyr would have, probably been something close to this, but others have, different, okay? So the first five chapters understand as the first century churches. Um, with the exception, there's some chapters in here, and four and five is one of those, that um, we're given pictures of heaven. So they don't really fit on the timeline, but I just had to put them there for, for clarity's sake. But there's some chapters in all the timeline, four and five would be some of them, where we're brought into heaven, and from the world events, we're seeing heavenly realities. Sometimes it goes backwards and happened before John. Okay? John's Revelation. All right, then chapter 6 is the seals. Again, just about everything I say about this chart could be controversial and it is a different view. This happens to be my view that the seals represent where we are presently. That we are wrestling through the birth pains of Christ. We'll talk about that. Then starting in chapter 7, all through 19, the, the primary of the book, my view is that those things have not yet taken place. And they reflect the tribulation. The second coming comes, the millennium or a thousand year reign. I do believe in a literal thousand year reign. Um, so I would be a historic premillennialist, but we'll talk about all of that stuff. Okay, reigns. And then you have uh, chapter 20 is the dragon destroyed, um, judgment comes and ushered into the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth. All right? Feel free to email me questions or Jedediah to talk about this in uh, our KLCs and on our kitchen tables. Okay, there's a chart. Now I want to end our time. Look at that. We're almost out of time. 
Uh, I'm going to go just a few minutes over here. I would like to invite you to put a lens of application. The first lens, look at verse 3. The first lens is this. He said in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Would you like to be blessed by God? Would you like to receive a blessing from God? All right, then what does he tell you to do? Read the book. Take it in. Study it. Don't dismiss it. In fact, there's going to be seven blessings throughout Revelation. It ends with a blessing. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Would you take this study seriously? We're going to spend about eight to ten weeks in this study, okay? And I have figured it out. If you, if you spend... Um, if you read half a chapter of Revelation five days a week, you would work through the entire book of Revelation. Or five days a week, you read a full chapter, you could read it tr twice, maybe in a different uh, translation. Would you, I, I want to invite you to read the book of Revelation with us as we walk through it. It's going to create a lot of questions. That's a good thing. I do see the book of Revelation like a big parable. And if you, when Jesus gave a parable, right, oftentimes people are like, I didn't get that at all. What was he talking about? It was the persons that went to, like his apostles, that said, would you explain the parable to us? They received the blessing of what Jesus was teaching and communicating. I think he invites us to put some study and work into this mysterious book that we might be blessed the second application is this. Look at verse 10. John says, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. What does that mean? I want to suggest to you that John was in the Spirit in a sense that he was praying on the island and there was this spiritual intensity. There was this intimacy with God. He was in this way and then Jesus appeared to him and gave revelation. But that wasn't the only time that John was in the Spirit. In fact, it, it, he communicates it as if we would know, oh, he was in the Spirit. He, he was in this moment that God's manifest presence was there. I want to suggest that as we were anointing with oil this morning, boy, that I could feel the presence of God and we were in the Spirit. When you read the book of Revelation, would you take some time to listen and to pray and, and, and pray and do your best in his presence and say, Lord, I really need help. Would you fill me with your truth and would you, your revelation? Would you soak in God's presence? All right, and finally, verse 17. Look at verse 17. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I want to invite you not to fear, but revere the Lord. 
Would you grow in a holy reverence for God that surpasses any fear that you might take on when you read the newspaper or watch the news or, or see that on social media that all oftentimes, like the war in Ukraine, can create the fear. But if you're saying, Lord, help me to process these world events through your lens of revelation, that will, I promise you, will reduce your fear in the world and increase your faith, your reverence for God, and the things for God. Amen? And again, we're going to do this in survey style, so we're not going to read together chapters 2 and 3. We're going to pick up in chapter 4, and we'll walk through that. I'm trusting that you all will be reading and asking those questions. All right, I've already gone over time, which is going to be a challenge, uh, and so I'm working my best to keep that in there. But I do want to invite the worship team forward, and I know that there's a number of folks that were wanting to be prayed for at the end of the service, and so we're going to just invite our, our prayer leaders forward, and I'm going to give you uh, the benediction and so you can uh, leave and uh, greet one another as you go. But also, if you want to hang out for the final worship service, um, worship song, and you want to be prayed for, then would you please do that? Would you stand? And I want to leave you with the same idea that we talked about. The same Spirit of God that was the resurrection power within Jesus Christ on Easter, that same Spirit of God is within you and walks with you. That spirit of God that proclaimed the truth of the revelation of Jesus Christ so many years ago to John. That same spirit of God lives in you and is speaking to you and revealing the truth of Jesus Christ. Would you go and listen and walk and be transformed in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you.